inside yourself and all around you, and it was certainly a common practice for David. Then in verse 2, he goes on. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. So here's David sharing details about a horrible time for him. He had no comfort for his soul. And when the Bible speaks about the soul, it's talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. So it's a very physical part of us, but not physical at the same time. But um, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't even speak. Um, where he said, Thou holdest mine eyes from waking. It's like just thinking about God in that time of his trouble was, was keeping him from sleeping. And if you've ever laid awake at night with that awful something on your mind, then, then you know what he was going through. And he knew exactly how you feel during those times because he spent a lot of his time there too, uh, not sleeping and praying and thinking and all of those things. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord, he said. And David went straight away to God when something happened to him. We can assume, and probably accurately so, that this was a primary reason he was considered a man after God's own heart. Every time something happened, he didn't run to somebody else. He didn't complain. He didn't do all that. He went straight to God, first and foremost. And when his soul refused to be comforted, he only knew to go to God. And um, there's probably a lot of times in our own lives when we would alleviate a bunch of trouble by just going to God in the first place when things get crazy. But we have to, as David did here, remember God. But you'll notice in verse 5, things start to change. He said, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. Now, more than likely, he was talking about the writings of Moses and the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, all the miracles that they saw, because that's the, the scrolls or the scripts or the Torah or whatever they called it that they had at the time. And so he considered the days of old and the years of ancient times. And then in verse 6, he said, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune excuse me, with my own heart, and my spirit made a diligent search. Now he's starting to remember his own past, the things that's already happened, the things he's already overcome, and all of that through God. And then in verse 7, Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? These are all rhetorical questions, no doubt. And I've had a few of them myself uh, in, not, in the not-so-distant past. Uh, but David knew that God would not cast him off forever or refuse to ever be favorable to him again. He knew that God's mercy wouldn't be clean gone forever. A term That term means failing or falling away completely or something that's come to a complete end, just over. There's no more to it. And he knew deep down in his heart that that was not the God that he served. And it's not the God we serve. Hallelujah. He knew that God wouldn't forget to be gracious, and he knew that God would not shut up his tender mercies in anger. Can you imagine how it could change things if we just started calling things like this to our remembrance when things start getting hard? 
you know, Philippians 4, 8, you don't have to turn there, but we probably all know it. It talks about think on these things, things that are true, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of a good report. If there be any virtue or any praise, think on these things. And that's what David was doing. He was starting to remember all of those things. But instead, instead of heading into an oh, woe is me territory, it's worth a shot to go back to what we know, what we know to be true, the mercy of God. And in the next verses, things start to change for David. In verse 10, he says, And I said, this is my infirmity. Now, I believe David's looking back at that list of rhetorical questions <coughs> he just asked. Because the term, my infirmity, it literally means to make yourself sick. And I know, especially us women, if we can do anything to ourselves, it's make ourselves sick with worry. Amen? And so... That's what this term means. And to speak that way kind of allows us to claim that weakness or claim the, the illness or the weakness or whatever it is we're going through. Because Proverbs, uh, I believe it's 21.18. I get that backwards sometimes. Anyway, it says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And that's one thing I always uh, have said to the kids when that verse has always stuck with me. Because, you know, the Bible says we're created in God's image. And... I feel like that because he spoke everything into creation, that he left just maybe just a little bit of that with us when we were made in his image so that the things that we say and the things that we speak, that's why it's so important to be concentrated on how we say things. At least that's the way I've always been. <laughs> so um, he went on to say, but in the 10th verse, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Now the term I will remember here in the original text is just a single word. And it means to recall or record or make a memorial of the right hand of the Most High. The right hand signifies power and authority and dominion. And David intended to mentally record the fact that God has all power and all authority, especially right now in his time of trouble. He will recall, he will record, he will make a memorial of the works of the Lord and the wonders of old. Remember the stories of the deliverance from Egypt and the Red Sea experience and the wilderness years and the taking of Canaan, all of those things. He's going to remember that. These stories were major parts of Jewish life in those days to be remembered with feasts and solemn assemblies. They were storytellers. I've always loved that about the Jewish people. And those stories just compounded and went on and on and on. And so David is coming back to his own roots in doing what he knows to do even in his time of trouble. And then he changes it up a little bit more in verse 12. He said, I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of thy doings. At first he was remembering these things. Now he moves to meditating. And there's a funny thing about the word's meaning in the Bible, that word meditate. These days when we think about meditation, we think about yoga, right? Just sitting and being still and peaceful, solitude, just real quiet. But in the Bible, that word, before all the translations came into place, it actually meant to moan, to growl, to roar, 
and, and other similar things like that. That's what that was translated into in different places in the Bible. If you go and, and do a search just on that one word, it's all over the place. So Old, Old Testament meditation was anything but silent. <laughs> and it's reflected in the latter part of that verse 12. So he goes on to say he talks of God's doings. So he's gone from remembering to meditating or moaning, groaning, and now he's speaking of God's works. It's a natural progression, really, because it springs up inside us, especially if we have the Holy Ghost inside, like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That was in John 4, 14, when Jesus said that's what would happen. And so now he's made yet another pivotal turn in what started out as a confession of trouble. In verse 13, he says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine own arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Salah. I imagine right about now he's getting loud. You can't recall to mind the goodness of God without getting a little bit emotional, even when things aren't going so great. And if you just think about any answered prayer of yours because when we're in that time of trouble if if we're not careful we can forget and so if you remember your answered prayers it kind of starts to like Arliss always says it's evidence yeah. Hebrews 1 uh, Hebrews 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen so it's the substance of the things we've hoped for, the things behind us, the things that we've already walked in and walked through. Just like they walked through the Red Sea, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked through the fire, Daniel walked through the lion's den. So those, that's the substance of the things we hoped for. And then the evidence of things not seen. We don't see the other side of the storm. Like when Peter was walking on the water, he was ready. He was a zealot for the Lord, if nothing else. And Jesus said, come on. And somewhere out there, he realized there's a big storm going on here. And, of course, we, we know if we look at radars and stuff, storms are localized. There's sunshine on the other side of that storm. There's sunshine, birds singing, but we can't see it. So we have to go on the evidence of the things not seen and all the things that God is still doing today. So from this, where David had gone to actually speaking, comes the next obvious thought about God's magnificence and power and might. How even the creation itself saw it and reacted to it. Verse 16 says, The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee. He said it twice. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. He could have been referencing Genesis uh, chapter 1, where God said he separated the waters from the waters and the waters from dry land. Or he might have been talking about the Red Sea drawing back in obedience to the commandments of God. Either way, what we actually see is the sheer might and glory of Creator God dictating the waters of His creation. Jesus did it again when He said to the waves, Be still. Peace, be still. It's the same God. Mm. Then in verse 17, He says, The clouds poured out water. No doubt talking about the flood, when the flood happened. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. 
Verse 18, the voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. We know from various scriptures that God's voice when he was speaking to Moses was thunder and lightning. Even the people at the foot of the mountain saw it and heard it, and his voice would make the earth literally tremble. Verse 19, he says, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. This reminds me of a couple of different things. The first is that God's spirit hovered over the face of the deep before there even was a creation. That's where it all started. Then fast forward to Jesus and the multiple times he walked on the water. The scripture said, thy path in the great waters, but really his footsteps are unknown. We only know according to the word that the very clouds are the dust of his feet. It says that in Nahum 1.3. And finally in verse 20, he said, Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. David winds up in a place we all will wind up if we allow ourselves to meditate on Jesus. Though it doesn't say it here, I believe he was thinking, Well, Lord, if you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, and let's be real, we know what their history was. Moses was a murderer. He ran from God. Now this was the chosen man to deliver all of Israel from the hand of Egypt. Murder people, ran 40 years on the backside of the desert. 40 years on the backside of the desert. And Aaron, uh, while Moses was on top of the mountain, he was at the bottom, melted gold and jewelry and turned it into a golden calf. These are the two people he led Israel out with. So that should give us something to stand on right there. We don't, uh, we don't get the opportunity to say we have any kind of power to stop God's will or to change it or anything because he will lead us like a flock. And he knows that even in his trouble, even in his serious issues, God was still leading him, David did. He could still be trusted to lead no matter what might come. He knew that God was in control, just like he still is today. In this psalm, David started in a place of trouble, skirting the temptation to wallow in self-pity like we do, and depression and anxiety, any word you want to call it, but we, we a lot of times we'll find ourselves in that place of just everything's, everything's all tied up. So he started in the day of his trouble, in such spiritual disarray that he couldn't sleep, he couldn't speak, that he started to remember. He started to think about his evidence and the substance that he was standing on. Then he started to meditate, moaning about it. Uh, if you've ever prayed really, really hard, you know what that moaning is about. And then he started to speak, speak. And by verse 11, his mode of conversation had changed entirely. If we try to make a concerted effort to do in our times of trouble what David did, I bet we'll see the same thing happen. I bet we'll begin to meditate on all that God has already done and we can use our own lives and our own answered prayer as a starting place. But really, we can go back as far as David did. We can go back to Moses and Aaron and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and on and on and on. We can still call to our remembrance all those remarkable things that God did for Moses and all of them. And do you know why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, Amen. and forever. Yes. He was the same for those people that lived in a time that we didn't as he is for us living here today in all of our troubles and anguish. 
And he's the same one that's still going to be there when our kids don't have us anymore. That we can trust. That we can meditate on. That we can speak about. And I know it's going to make a difference. I know it will. Yes. Yes. If you are what in what David called a day of trouble, I invite you to remember whose you are. If nothing else matters, whose you are will make a difference, even when times aren't hard. Remember that his promises are yea and amen. And remember that if he did it for them, he will do it for you. He has to. The Bible says God's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. So that's all I have for this. Praise the Lord. If anybody wants to come to the front, the altar is open always. It's, I believe it, in a, like a, not a make-believe altar, but you can't see it. We don't have an actual altar, but when we're in the presence of the Lord, I believe that's an altar. Moses made uh, altars and Abraham built altars, and I believe we can build an altar in our own heart. Yes. So wherever we are gathered together as a body, and, and we know the word also says that how can one be warmed if there's not two together to keep them from getting cold? I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of you, but Praise God, together we can we can make things happen. Amen. So if you'll just join me in prayer, if you want to come forward, please do. Lord God, we thank you this day that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we thank you this day that everything that's been brought before your throne today, you already know the beginning from the end, and you certainly know the middle that we're in now. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your substance. We thank you for the evidence of things that you've already done and things that we don't even see that you're doing right now. Lord, I thank you that you are the creator. You are the savior. There is none like you. And we worship you with everything that is within us. Now, Lord, we put our trust and our faith in you, Lord God, and we just ask you to cover us in that most holy place, Lord God. And bring us all back here together again so that we can worship you, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.